0: We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if The life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and who gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Amen.
1: Good evening, everybody. Uh, Stick your hand up if you're around the age of 13, 14, 15, 16. Yeah, don't be shy. Brilliant. I was, Paul, you're really not. Um, I was once your age. I know it's hard to believe that, but I was once your age. Uh, in fact, it was, uh, I found myself in Yorkshire uh, when I was around your age, and uh, I went along to a Christian camp. And one particular year, I found myself sat in a field in the middle of North Yorkshire in a tent on these hard wooden chairs with around 30 other teenagers. And it was August, but it was cold. If you've ever camped in North Yorkshire or, in fact, anywhere in Scotland at all, then you'll know what I'm talking about, that feeling of being in a field in a tent, and it was freezing cold. But I was listening, despite the cold, to something that was starting to completely blow my mind. I'd heard the story of Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus' uh, life and the miracles that he'd done, but also his death and his resurrection loads and loads of times before. My parents were Christians, so I'd just heard it all. I'd been going to church since I was a little girl. But that night, something about the story of Jesus just grabbed me in a way that it never had before. This guy that was speaking, he was called Mike, he was just like pacing up and down uh, this tent and he was telling us about the cross of Jesus. And he got to the bit where he was saying that Jesus was nailed to the cross and he flung his arms out to one side and then the other side and he explained to us uh, what it meant for Jesus being crucified on a cross. He talked about how Jesus died on a cross for me and for my sin. He spoke of Jesus' suffering and he spoke of Jesus' death. And as he spoke, the truth and the power of what Jesus did just like rammed straight into my heart. And I just sat there and I thought, Jesus loves me. And he wants to know me. And this guy, he said, you know, if you had been the last person on earth, Jesus would have died for, me, for you. And I just thought, whoa, that's amazing. Jesus died for me. And he talked about how it meant that my sins were forgiven. He talked about uh, how it made me free from all the stuff that I'd done wrong. And I was amazed. But then I heard something that made it all just start to make sense. He said, because Jesus is God he couldn't stay dead. And because he couldn't stay dead, Jesus had to be God. And because Jesus is God, you can know that you're forgiven. You can know that you're free. And you can know that there is a hope of heaven. And since that night in that tent in Yorkshire, when I was about 13 years old, the cross of Jesus has transformed my life literally every part of who I am. I always thought um, that I would be a Blue Peter presenter, as lots of you know, Uh, but here I am doing this job. And do do you know that I truly believe that living my life with and for the risen Jesus has made my story definitely more risky, infinitely more scary, It's made it ridiculous, sometimes more painful, but also deeper and more interesting and more exciting and more life-giving and more filled with love and more free than it would have ever been if I hadn't met Jesus and realized the power of the cross The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the Galatians that we heard our reading from tonight. And we know that he was someone who was struck by the cross of Jesus. But more than that, he was struck by the resurrected Jesus. And his life was transformed after he met Jesus. The cross set him free. Uh, Before that encounter that he had with Jesus, his life had all been about doing the right thing, being seen to be following the rules, all about knowing loads of stuff about God. It had all been about getting into God's good books. But then one day, he was just minding his own business, traveling down a road, and Jesus met with him. And from that day, Paul was so transformed because he had discovered a freedom freedom through the cross, and it made sense, and it liberated him. It liberated him from all the rules and the good stuff that he tried to do and obey in his life to keep in in God's good books. And here in Galatians chapter 2, we find Paul's big declaration of how transformative the power of the cross has been in his own life. Listen to this. This verse is amazing. In fact, if you only remember one thing from tonight, try and remember this verse, verse 20 from our reading. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave his life for me. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I I can honestly say that this is one of the verses in the Bible which has had the most powerful and profound effect on my life. And we're going to look at this verse in a few moments in a little bit uh, more depth. But we need to understand what is going on here. Why is Paul making this huge, slightly weird declaration about I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. So we're going to look a bit more at this passage. The first thing we're going to look at is, is it about freedom? Is it about rules or does anything go? Freedom rules or anything goes. The Galatian Christians have been getting themselves into a bit of a pickle, Uh, They've seem to have forgotten that actually the cross is enough. And they've started to insist that people start to follow some of the rules and regulations which the cross had actually freed them from. So Paul is basically saying here in verses 15 to 19 of our reading, if we can have them up. I don't know whether I asked you to do that, Neil, but if you can, ah yes, he's a wonderful man. Um, Paul is saying here in verses 15 to 19, look following the law cannot save you. You can only be justified, that means put right with God, reconciled with God, put back into the relationship that we were designed with with God, that's what justified means. We can only be justified through faith in Jesus Christ, faith that Jesus died and rose again to save us. So why is he saying, do you think that following rules can save you? In our context, I was trying to imagine what this might look like in our context here. Now imagine if loads of people uh, had decided to become Christians and they started uh, to come here to P's and G's. And after a week or two, uh, Dave or myself or Paul uh, took them aside and had a little chat with them and said, you know, it's great to have you here. It's great that you've become Christians. But in order to be proper Christians, uh, there are some sort of customs that you have to start to follow. Firstly, you have to become a vegan. Um, No meat, no dairy, you know the drill, okay? And then your clothes, really to be a proper Christian, you've got to wear blue jeans like me and Dave at all times and in all places. And you have to have a special tattoo with like an arrow on it um, as well. Because it will mark you out as a Christian and really if you don't want to become a vegan or wear blue jeans or have the special tattoo, uh, then really it doesn't matter uh, whether Jesus died for you or not because you cannot really be saved. Now, ridiculous, but that is basically what is happening in the Galatian church. Apart from it's not about being a vegan or wearing blue jeans or having a tattoo, but they were concerned about following rules about what you eat, what you wear, and what on your body marks you out. And basically, Paul is just saying, no, stop being so ridiculous. The cross is enough. Jesus' death and resurrection has saved you, not your ability to keep all those customs. The cross is enough. Now, you'd think they'd be delighted at that moment, thinking, yay, bring on the prawn cocktail and hurrah, I don't have to be circumcised, Uh, but they weren't because they were actually a little bit caught up in what everybody else would be thinking about them. If you look at verses 17 to 18, it says this, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also amongst the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. So basically what's going on here is that the Christians are really worried about what everyone else would think. If people become Christians but aren't following the customs that they've grown up with, the customs that are normal for religious people at the time, then everyone will just look at them and think, well, you're sinners. But Paul is saying, no, wake up, guys. When Jesus died on a cross once and for all, he freed us once and for all from all the straining, from all the trying, from all the rule following, all the sacrifices that people did to try and be put right with God. He just took all that stuff and he smashed it to pieces. And so Paul says, if, verse 18 says, you start to rebuild what has been destroyed by Jesus on the cross, if you start insisting that people start to follow the law again, just so that you can be seen to be doing the right thing, then that actually makes you more of a lawbreaker than actually not following the law at all. When I was at university, Uh, We had a really great Christian Union uh, where I was, and I quickly got really stuck in and started leading all over the place. And it was near the Easter holiday in my first year. And if you've ever been involved in a Christian Union at a university, you will know that this is the time where you find out who is going to be on the CU committee for the next year. And everybody had been saying to me, oh, Libby, you're definitely going to be part of the team. You know, uh, and to be honest, I thought, yeah, I should be part of that team. I have done so much stuff for this CU. Um, you know, I've, I've led a small group in my college. I've been involved in all the evangelistic events. I've helped out here, there, and everywhere. I have came to lots of prayer meetings. Anyway, at last we found out who was on the CU committee for the next year, and I hadn't been chosen. I couldn't believe it. I wasn't even asked to be the secretary. You know, and I did wonder whether it had something to do with the fact that actually I'd broken up with my boyfriend two weeks before, who happened to be the president of the CU. But anyway... That moment, it sort of led me into a bit of a crisis. And I was a bit like, God, you know, I've been working my theological butt off for you uh, and for this university CU. What's going on? Haven't you noticed? But as I stepped back and I looked at it all again, I was really challenged and I had a deep sense that God was saying to me, Libby, this isn't about you. It's not about what you're good at. It's not about all the stuff you do. It's not about what you can do or what you're gifted in. It was just God saying to me, you know, I love you, whatever. I've got a place for you, whatever. I've saved you, whatever. So get back in your box, he was basically telling me, and keep the main thing, the main thing. And when I got my head around that, it was interesting to note how things began to change in my relationship with God and also the CU. And then out of uh, the blue, the leader of the CU, who I'd broken up with a couple of weeks before, uh, came to see me and said, that they decided that, funnily enough, they needed somebody else on their uh, CU committee, and they needed somebody to organize the evangelistic strategy and the mission that they were going to have, and I wondered, they wondered if I could do it, and of course, I was like, yeah, I'm in there. Anyway, <laughs> but looking back, I'd been distracted. I got caught up in all the doing of the stuff and it was just a great reminder to me at that time, and I've had reminders time and again, to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. The main thing, the cross of Jesus. We can all get caught up like this, in being good Christians, in doing the right thing, that so much so that we can forget that the cross of Jesus is what has saved us. There's nothing else we need to do. He simply loves us and died for us. He wants to set us free so that we can live in the freedom he brought for us. So, if it's not about following rules, does that mean that anything goes? We could think that, couldn't we? And there's a whole school of uh, Christian thought called this. It's a really large word, antinomianism, antinomianism, Uh, which teaches that because uh, the the cross of Jesus has freed us uh, from having to follow the law, anything is permitted. And we quite like that idea, don't we? I don't know about you, I quite like that idea. God is love. Jesus has forgiven me and set me free. And so there's nothing I can do to get into God's good books. Grace wins. So we can convince ourselves that that means there are no expectations upon us. Hooray, I'm free to do whatever I want and live my life however I want. I can watch whatever I want on telly. I can have sex with whoever I want to have sex with. I can speak to people the way that I want to speak to them. I can use money just the way I want to use my money. I can do what I want with my life because the cross means that I am forgiven and I am free. If we think that, we've missed the point. This is not true grace. Our passage makes it really clear that even though the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus means that we are free from following all the law and the rules that the Jews had at the time, it doesn't mean that anything goes. Jesus talks all the time, doesn't he, about the cost of following him. And in verse 19 of our passage, Paul says this, For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live for God. Yes, he's saying, I'm free from the rules, from having to eat or dress or worship in certain ways. Not so that I can just do what I want, but I'm free so that, he says in verse 19, I might live for God. When we get our heads around this cross-shaped freedom, our one desire then is not to follow rules or to do good stuff or to impress people or to even to impress God, but it is simply to live our lives in a way that honors him. Paul calls this the crucified life, the crucified life. He says in verse 20, our key verse tonight, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but Christ lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ. What on earth does that mean? I have been crucified with Christ. Well firstly, let's just think for a moment about what it isn't. Firstly, being crucified with Christ doesn't literally mean that we have to be nailed to a cross you'll be believed to know. Secondly, it isn't saying that to follow God, you have to exterminate everything about who you are. You don't have to exterminate your personality or your style or your gifts. It's not about like pressing reset on who you are. I am fundamentally the same person, the slightly weird, extrovert, creative Bossy days, friendly, organizing fashionista that I've always been. Thirdly, being crucified with Christ doesn't mean that we pretend that we don't really live in this world or aren't influenced by it. That's not what being crucified with Christ looks like. Because of course there are things that we are influenced by in this world. Materialism, people, the news, social media, all sorts of things, our own desires. So, what does it mean? It means that I need to realize that I cannot save myself. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. It means I cannot save myself. We need to nail to the cross our self, our ego. All the stuff that, if we're honest, makes us think that God should be pretty chuffed to have us. Or even make us think that actually God is really disappointed with us. We need to nail it all to the cross. We need to surrender it all to him. It might be our academic or our sporting abilities. It might be our desire to do good things, to get other people's approval. It might be our fears or our, our anxieties. It might be our ambition or our self-doubt. It might be uh, being nice. It might be money. It might be thinking that we're fine and sorted or rubbish and useless. We're to crucify our, ourself. Theologian John Stott puts it like this. All that is required of us to be justified, that's put right into a right relationship with God, remember. All that is required of us to be justified, therefore, is to acknowledge our sin and helplessness, to repent of our years of self-assertion and self-righteousness, and to put our whole trust and confidence in Jesus to save us. And when we do that, he never leaves us the same our lives should then just reflect the fact that Jesus has saved us. When we live the crucified life, that's when we're transformed. So our last thing, transformation. If I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, what does that look like? First of all, this transformation Starts on the inside and comes out. It's inside out. Think about uh, a caterpillar for a moment. When a caterpillar uh, becomes a butterfly, he doesn't go to the pretty wing shop. Does he or she? Uh, He doesn't go to the pretty wing shop and go and choose the most glorious wings uh, he wants and then gets them attached and prances around saying, Look at me, I've become a butterfly, I have changed. When all along, everybody knows that he's really just a caterpillar on the inside wearing butterflies' wings. No, he goes through a complete transformation from the inside out. Uh, You know, we all know the caterpillar enters the chrysalis and somehow in a magical, biological way, he goes through this like metamorphosis and emerges from the chrysalis as a butterfly. And that incredible transformation has happened from the inside out, not the outside in. When we give our lives to Jesus, when we nail ourself to the cross with Christ, then it's not as, about, as about, about us going, you know, oh, flip, I've got to go to the good behavior shop or rules for holy living shop and get the stuff I need to put on myself to become a proper Christian. No, the Holy Spirit transforms us, changes us to be like him from the inside out. The Holy Spirit, he transforms our love for Christ. Our love for Christ becomes the center, the like pivotal point of who we are. He transforms our relationships. We love and serve others, not just ourselves. We love and serve people who aren't even like us. We love and serve people that we don't even know on the other side of the world. He transforms our relationships. And our freedom means that in our relationships, We honor other people by avoiding, it says in Galatians 5, 19 19 to 21, by avoiding sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, fun passage, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. When Christ lives in me, our love for God and our love for others Overflows into all aspects of our lives and behaviour. I remember as a teenager sitting there thinking, why is God so miserable and gives me all these rules about behaviour like don't have sex before marriage? I I came to understand why. It's because he loves us and because he knows how, how we are designed, it's because he wants us to live in the freedom he bought for us on the cross. One of the ways that I think the devil loves to con us is to make the things that are not of God look better than they actually are and makes them look like real freedom, whereas often they're the things that emotionally or physically bind us. And he transforms our need to follow rules, to get into God's good books because Jesus has already bought our freedom. And lastly, he transforms our character As we give the Holy Spirit free reign in our lives, he transforms us from the inside out. So that again, as we read in Galatians 5, he makes us people who flow with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Freedom comes from the cross. Freedom means that we live crucified lives. Freedom means that God transforms us from the inside out. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me.